So this is, this is the same psalm we, we read last week, Psalm 41. I'm going to read it for us, and we're going to focus in. We really did the first, examine the first 10 verses last week. So we're going to look at the last three verses this week primarily. This is Psalm 41, God's word to us. This is to the choir master, Psalm of David. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Father, we come to... Uh, the text, we come to scripture, we come to life, we come even into this morning with a multitude of things in our lives, a multitude of things in our, in our head, in our heart, good and bad struggles and successes. And so we want to, to sit under you restfully and we want to hear what you have to say so that we might be encouraged to see you more clearly, to see, see you who, for, for who you truly are, and to have you speak into the particulars of our life, the circumstances that we're facing, so that we might know what it looks like to follow you, to have wisdom, and to respond in light of how you have lived towards us. So as we talk this morning, we ask for your spirit to lead and to guide, to direct, to comfort, to challenge, to do what we most need done in us. We ask it all in your name. Amen. All right, so we said last week the big idea that we're focusing in on is when we ache for things to be made right, because this is what's happening. David is aching that things would be made right. When we ache for things to be made right, we actually resonate with the heart of God. We, we resonate with what his purpose is. So what do we see in the psalm about God's heart that helps us as we ache? Because the reality is we ache if we can know that God, there's characteristics about God that if we're knowing this, when we're aching, he's resonating with us. It can make a difference in how we walk into the aches of life. We can approach them differently we can live with them differently. We can even see them differently. So we said last week he identifies with the powerless. Then also he accepts us in our vulnerability. And then thirdly, the one that we're going to look at today is he guarantees long-term victory. 
So he guarantees this long-term victory or security. This is what he's talking about in these last uh, three verses, 11 through 13. So these verses say, By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. So regardless of what things look like, this is what we can cling to in our aching. So regardless of how you're viewing your circumstances, circumstances that are coming against you, the things that are causing you to ache, regardless of whatever it is that you see, these are some things that David says you can cling to. He says, you have delighted in me. David is clinging to the fact that God actually delights in him. God does not hate him. God is not after him. God actually delights in him. And this is something that we can cling to. And then the enemies are are not going to shout triumph over him, meaning what? They're not going to ultimately win. Because the enemies have shouted over David, and we've all experienced where enemies might shout over us. But what he's saying is they will not ultimately win the day. We can cling to this. And then you have upheld me. You're the one that's holding me together, and you have set me in your presence forever. His hope is that he is going to live in the face of God for a very long time. Because the terminology for living in the presence is really living in the face of God, living before the face of God. This is a hint to his long-term perspective. Certainly, he's pleading for rescue in the moment. He's going through particular things, and he's pleading for God to bring rescue in the moment. But at the same time, he's couching that immediate plea with confidence beyond the moment. So he's asking for God to be his help and his rescue in the moment. But he's believing this in light of the fact of his confidence in a long-term success, in a long-term victory. This is, this is where he, these are the things that he's clinging, clinging to. So trusting that God guarantees long-term victory, even if it's not fully realized in a given moment, because this is always what runs in the back of my head is, but I'm not seeing it now. <laughs> What do I do when I'm not seeing it now? Well, we can trust this long-term victory, even if we're not fully realizing it in the moment. What does this actually do for us? Well, what it does to David is it leads him to celebrate. You could say worship, because this is how he ends. Blessed be the Lord. What's the result? What's the result of him clinging to the fact that God has some long-term victory? Bless the Lord, the, the God of Israel, the God of creation from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. It leads us to celebration. Isn't that what our heart wants? We, the concept of worship can be kind of a weird religious thing, but this is what all of us are longing for. What is celebration but worship? Like, what is gratitude but worship? We want to live with gratitude. Well, knowing this long-term victory actually leads us into worship, this gratitude, but it also leads us to freedom. Because it frees us to continue aching. It doesn't take away the ache. It actually frees us to continue aching, aching and resonating with God's heart. Because we can now just, we're not, we're not aching on our own or just in a community. We're aching as we resonate with God's heart to not simply seek power for ourselves so that we can serve our own interest, but rather because this is true, but he's accomplished this long-term victory, we can actually bend towards those 
who have a lesser voice. We can actually bend towards the powerless and we can give an ear to the voice and a voice to the voiceless. What is that around us? Because the freedom of a long-term victory is our victory is already guaranteed, not by anything that we're going to do, but by God. Therefore, we don't have to fight for it ourselves. We can stand in the gap for others. So this, this is... This is where we've got to do some self-examination, evaluation of where we live, like in our personal lives, and maybe us as a community, what's around us. This, this, doesn't, this doesn't mean that those that are in power are always wrong. Like we can't go to extreme to say all power is bad. And I don't think that's God. God is all powerful and he's not all bad. He's not bad at all, <laughs> right? So all, power is not necessarily bad, but it does challenge us to constantly consider how we use power, how we share power, how we empower others, or even how we give it away, because we don't have to cling to it. This is the freedom that we get to experience. We don't have to cling to it. We can actually give it away. And I think this changes over time. This is not a, okay, let's evaluate where we are in life right now and how it is is how it will always be because we have to constantly return to God's heart and consider the situation of our present age. You look throughout history and kind of in a simple way, so very often, and this is not always the case, so very often those who are abused become what? Often they become abusers. Now, that is not always the case, right? So often you can be abused, and it gives you a deeper sympathy for those that are abused. But we do know from our own personal experiences oftentimes or those kind of situations that we've been able to see, so often those that have been abused end up, when they gain some power, use that power against others. Therefore, it changes over time. We have to constantly evaluate this. So that if we have been victims, we don't become the perpetrators down the road. Because that might change as time goes on. So this is, this is very practical, I think, for us in our given situations, is to be able to look around constantly, daily, to reevaluate our own heart and see how we're using power, but also reevaluate where things are in our culture and society and change accordingly. And the way that God fully identified with the powerless, the way that God fully accepted our vulnerability, and the way that God fully guarantees a long-term victory, that we move on beyond just the psalm. The way he fully does this is how. (laughs) Where do we always head? What is the whole book about? How does he fully do this? That one's the Sunday school answer. I don't know if you grew up in doing Sunday school. It's either, it's either right, the Bible, Jesus, or prayer, right? One of those answers. Yes, yes. So how does he fully do it? He fully, he fully realized, he fully does this in Jesus. This is not just some theoretical thing about a God who made all things and we're hoping that he's this way. How do we know that he fully does this, that he guarantees this long-term victory? It's because of Jesus. When Jesus and the gospel writers... Uh, and then the writers of all of the, the New Testament, when they speak of Jesus being, they do things like talk about him being the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. 
This is a common theme within the New Testament. When they say things like this, Jesus being, they would even call him the greater David. All the, all the semi-heroes of the Old Testament, especially if you look at like the book of Hebrews, it shows how Jesus is the better one, the better of those. So he's the, he's the better son of David. That does not just mean he's the greater biological son, right? He's, he is in the lineage of, of King David, the guy that originally wrote the, the substance of this psalm. He is the, the, the long great-great-great-great-grandson, faraway grandson, but he is more than just the biological. He's the better type of David. Whatever da- what is David? David was a king, right? And David was a sufferer. The, the Psalms are so often explaining, uh, talking about both of those things, what his role as a king is, but then also how he is, how he's suffering. Jesus is the greater king, and he is the greater acre. He is the greater sufferer. So speaking on the night that he was betrayed, so this is the day before the crucifixion, he's having his last supper, what we celebrate, with his disciples, and he calls out that one of them is going to betray him, and that's, that's Judas. So in that conversation, he says this. This is in John 13. I'm not speaking of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled, and he says this. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Does that sound familiar? That was, that's in the Psalm 41. What's, David, what's Jesus doing? He is attributing what David said to himself. He, he is saying, I, I am tied to this. I am what David was talking about. When, when we're bothered by, when we're angered by, when we're frustrated, when we're concerned by it looking like God is not doing what he says he's going to do, when it looks like he's not bringing the deliverance to yourself or others that you know that are hurting, that are suffering, we can consider Jesus. Like, I don't have all the, I don't know all the answers to this. This is kind of even in light of some of our conversation this week. I don't have all the answers to what do you, what do you do, but I do have this. We can look at Jesus. When things do not seem to be right, we can look at Jesus because he suffered all that David described here, except he didn't have sin. Like David is suffering in part because of his own sin. Well, Jesus is suffering and he had no sin and he wasn't delivered in his moment. He had the enemies and his friends coming against him. He was abandoned. And he is the truly righteous one who cares for the weak and the poor better than anyone else will ever care for them, far better than I'm ever going to care. He was the character of God being worked out in the world by being the most humane human that's ever walked the face of the earth. And yet, his father did not save him from suffering and death. Why? Why all the suffering? I don't have a full answer to that. But what I do know is the Father didn't save him from the suffering that led to death. How do you, res- how do you respond to this? That, this, is a, this is a heavy thing to take into yourself. Because I think this is the final straw that should either make you give up on God, the concept of the, of the God of Scripture, 
I mean, I think that's like, I can see why someone would say it. That's, I'm done. Like, if this is who God is, I'm done with this. It can either do that or it can convince you that he is the, the better one, that he exists even. The cross is the strongest evidence that we should reject God or bow down and trust him. I mean, really, those are your kind of two options. For his first followers, for many since then, um, for myself, Jesus is suffering. He, he doesn't, it doesn't explain suffering. I still can't tell you why we suffer. I don't, I mean, maybe, maybe as I grow, maybe I'll have a better understanding of, of why. I mean, there's, there are some logical reasons. There's some intellectual reasons why suffering exists. But you get to the end of the road, and I can't fully explain that one. But this I do know with Jesus and his suffering. It's evidence that God refuses to let us suffer alone. And somehow his suffering is the way he's actually going to deal with our inhumanity. How? Well, by willingly accepting the inhumanity against himself, and rather than retaliating, he forgives. This, this is how he chooses to deal with it, which led to the bigger accomplishment, because God didn't just metaphorically. So David talks about, hey, will you raise me up? Raise me up from my sickbed. God didn't just metaphorically raise him up as David believed he would do for himself. Jesus is the greater David in this sense. He was raised not from a sickbed to avoid death, but from the grave to overcome it. He, he didn't avoid, he didn't, he didn't get to avoid it. He actually went into it, but God raised him out of the deathbed, returning not to repay. Because David says, hey, will you raise me back up so I can get them back? <laughs> can I can repay them? This is, this is what he says. And I think David's probably saying, yeah, I legitimately want to get them back. But the root word for repay there is shalom. <laughs> yeah, crazy. The root word there is to make peace. Will you raise me up so that I can make peace? This is what Jesus actually does. Though the enemy shouted over him, he triumphed over him. He was, it was a short-lived triumph that proved to be no triumph at all. They thought they had victory, and they didn't, because in his incorruption, the, the, evil, the evil and the hatred could not corrupt him. It did not make him evil and, and hateful. And in his resurrection, God proved he was pleased with Jesus, thus upholding him because of his actual integrity. David says, will you treat me as my integrity? should be treated. Well, it's like, well, we kind of know your life, David. Your integrity is only goes so far, right? Jesus was actually full of integrity and setting him at the Father's right hand in his presence forever as a truly better king. This is what happens to Jesus so that we can say, when we look at that, we can say, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of humanity, from everlasting to everlasting. Please let it be. Please let it be. That is good. That, I mean, his death is not good. But the fact that you vindicated him out of death, this is beautiful. Blessed be the Lord, the God of all humanity. If we can resonate with Jesus as God's blessing, as God's rescue, 
if we can resonate with Jesus as being the answer to our ache, this is the invitation to look at him as the answer to the ache. He guarantees that he's going to give us what he gained. He will give us the long-term victory. It is finished. It is given. It is done. So that we don't have to ache about things not being right in a way that leads to despair. This doesn't take away from the ache. But we don't have to ache towards despair. We don't have to ache without hope. We can actually ache. We can have hope. We can have confidence that God is and he, he will make all things right. So then, I mean, for us, this is for us to take home, for us to contemplate even in our moment, how then do we live? How does this affect the way that we live in a world that has so much not right about it? Well, we get to work to make things right that are right in front of us. You don't have to save the world. There's already a savior for the world. You get to live in the moment. What is in front of you? We get to bring order. We get to bring love. We get to bring being peace in the very small ways, in the small situations, in the individuals or the circumstances our spheres of influence, we get to live in those places because we know that he has and he will make all things right. So we can live like that's true. And Father, that is a hard one to believe at times because we do. We see the brokenness, the unhealth of ourselves and so many others. And yet... This is what you have said you've accomplished in Jesus. That you, Lord Jesus, being that, that perfect, humane human, being the embodiment of the character of God, suffered the inhumanity, suffered it even unto death, even humiliation, and you came out the other side to resurrection life in order not to repay, but to bring peace. We need for your spirit to press this into us where we are having a hard time believing it. Help our unbelief and then transform us so that we can live in this peace and this confidence and this restfulness that the victory has indeed been won. And we can live like that victory is already ours because in Christ it is. And we can start living in our moments, in our situations, not trying to fight to win our way, but to love and to serve and even to lay down our life for the good of others as you have done for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.